0: Welcome to Compliance Pointers, where we take an in-depth look into the latest news, trends, and challenges surrounding information security, privacy, and marketing compliance. Let's dive in with your host, Jordan Eisner.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Jordan Eisner, host of Compliance Pointers. I'm joined today by Chris Abacon and Drew Wilcox, uh, both of which are relatively new to Compliance Point. I say relatively because I've been here a decade and I think uh I think Chris you're what six or seven months and drew a little bit under that
0: yeah so that sounds about right
1: okay that sounds about right that'll fly and uh so in that time I have been fortunate enough to meet you at least once recently went out for some drinks and you guys had some on-site training and working with our director of cyber services Steve recently but uh Beyond the work I've seen from you, I don't I don't know you too well in terms of background, so I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves a little bit, which is a little different from how we've typically done it on the podcast. I know that you two have known each other for a long time. You just shared you have the same birthday, so that's, that's good. You <laughs> did military training together. So, uh, Chris, why don't we start with you? 22nd intro, we'll go to Drew, and then we'll get into questions for the podcast
0: today. What's going on, everybody? I'm Chris Savicon. I'm a uh, Navy veteran, as you know, Jordan already alluded to, with background in IT. And I've really worked the gamut of IT roles in the Navy, from help desk, to system administrator, to blue team analyst, to IT manager, right, where I was blessed to manage seven sailors supporting a maritime operations center. And today, I am blessed to be working as a cybersecurity consultant at Compliance Point. There you
2: go. Yes, thank you, Chris. And Drew? yeah good uh good morning everybody good afternoon on the east coast good morning on the west coast where i'm at um yeah so long story short about myself i'm a retired navy veteran spent about 12 years in the navy working in various flavors of it from it to security to communications where i spent most of my career in the special operations or the presidential support realm Uh, various roles from Helped us to SysAD to, uh, to to doing some network engineering work, to managing a security program um, for, for the time in my time in service, and I've been at Compliance Point for about four months. So excited to chat with you all today!
1: Excellent. And uh, Chris, you're in the Tampa area, right?
2: And Correct. Drew,
1: is it Montana? I am.
2: Well, part of and Montana? All of, all of uh, we're in Kalispell, so Northwest Montana. And for everyone who thinks it's freezing cold, all of our snow is melting, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> yeah
1: well we haven't seen snow here in atlanta <laughs> in quite some time so any snow is good snow well no i shouldn't say that because uh down here we like it right because we get it so seldom but i know up in the north it uh it's actually irritating why a lot of people move south so all right what today we're going to be talking about nist 800 171 yeah chris that's why you move south right that's right I'm I'm originally from, from minnesota minnesota, minnesota. Uh, so, we're talking about NIST 800 specifically what organizations need to do as they work toward achieving compliance with the standard. So, first thing, let's. Uh, I want to ask about contract language, specifically the FAR, or I assume FAR, and DFAR, DFAR clauses. So, beginning with FAR, which stands for Federal Acquisition Regulations, what is it, who does it apply to?
0: So far, specifically FAR fifty two point two zero four slash twenty one, it refers to federal contract. It, it refers to the federal acquisition regulation clause that really outlines the basic safeguarding requirements for federal contract information, also really known as FCI. So this was originally published in twenty sixteen. So this regulation is applicable to all contractors and subcontractors working with the US government when they handle FCI. So that clause is really designed to protect that FCI from unauthorized access and disclosure. So there are 15 basic safeguarding requirements outlined here, um, which are also uh, outlined with, uh, aligned with level one of cyber security model, cyber security maturity model certification known as CMC. So just two, for example, two of them are uh, limit information access to uh, authorized users, so really ensuring that only authorized individuals can have access to FCI, protecting mm-hmm. it from the authorized use, release, modification, deletion. And, and another one is a uh, limit information system access to authorized devices, so really making sure that only authorized devices have access to uh, the systems containing FCI, preventing that unauthorized uh, devices from assessing or extracting that data. OK.
2: Yeah, Chris, you mentioned a bunch of good points. I know we've thrown the, the FCI acronym around a lot, but for the, for the listeners that don't really understand what, what that is at a tactical level, uh, re- really FCI kind of revolves around of um, really any non-public information that is exchanged with the government that focuses on a contract. So, you know, a couple examples of what this could look like could be anything from contract performance reports to proposal responses for a uh, for like RFPs or you know RFCs, or, sorry, requests for proposals, RFPs, requests for comments, RFCs, um, or just general contract information, you know, emails exchanged between the DoD and defense contractors. So, those are some more uh, granular levels of what FCI is. But a big factor with FCI that you know differentiates what we'll be talking about here shortly, uh, which is controlled unclassified information, or CUI, is. Uh, FCI as a whole is not technical in nature in uh, in any capacity. So I just wanted to throw that in there.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So fairly broad then.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. It's fairly broad for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. So we talked about FAR. How about DFAR, which stands for Defense Federal Acquisition Regulations? Cool. to? I think I think it's maybe in the name, maybe not. Yeah,
0: no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll be talking about a few DFARS here, but specifically, I want to start out with DFARS uh, two fifty two two hundred four, and then I'm gonna, for sake of shortening this, I'm gonna just call it seventy twelve. So seventy twelve refers to safeguarding covered defense information and cyber incident reporting. Right? So this is this regul this regulation that really mandates defense contractors protect sensitive information known as covered defense information uh, that resides in an information system. So this is the clause actually that requires contractors to implement cybersecurity standards specified in NIST 800-171 to protect the confidentiality of CDI. So really additionally like the um, let's see the regulation also requires uh, contractors to preserve images uh, of known affected information systems and all relevant monitoring packet capture data, really to make sure that the DoD has a good assessment of an impact of any cyber incidents. So really, as you can see, this is a really important clause for defense contractors to maintain a strong cybersecurity posture. Um, now, second, the second D I want to talk to is a uh, 7020, which is the NIST 800. 171 DOD assessment requirements. So so this, this, this DFARS really requires and provisions and mandates defense contractors undergo assessments to validate their compliance with the cybersecurity practices outlined in 800-171. So this is part of that effort, the DOD effort to ensure that contractors have adequate cybersecurity measures in place to protect cl- controlled unclassified information, which is CUI within their unclassified network Right, so this cause uh, requires contractors to complete a basic self-assessment, like a self-evaluation, um, in compliance with 800-171 and submit the specific scores to DOD, which we'll be going over more in detail later. Um, some ca- in some cases, like for big DOD contractors, the DOD might actually do a. Uh, medium or high assessment on specific companies to make sure they do more of an in depth contractor compliance. So we're talking the big players that produce weapons, produce information systems for the DOD. And then lastly, I want to talk about 7021, which is the cyber security maturity model certification requirements So really uh, the CMMC requirements deeper. So this is this is more of an evolution of 7020 because 7020 only required that self assessment, right? But now we're requiring the DOD. Uh, is going to be requiring uh, that defense contractors obtain a CMMC certification as almost like a pre- prerequisite to a contract award. Now, with the proposed rule and things like that, this is going to be pushed out a few years. But you know, it's always uh, important for companies to make sure to stay ahead of these uh, these regulations. Now, what's the, the main difference here is they're mandating a third-party assessment for cybersecurity practices. So that really shows that the DoD is really taking cybersecurity seriously in their space, and it's really important that we, as you know, it's it's cybersecurity in this space. It's also national security, right? Cybersecurity is national security. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind when when we're reading a lot of these DFARS requirements.
2: Yeah, you, Chris, you brought up the you know the the criticality of information and. Um, kind of how the DOD and the government is taking a very proactive approach and ensuring that everyone who's handling different types of information is implementing, you know, certain safeguards and, and protective mechanisms really around CUI, um, which right. in a nutshell, all of the acronyms here, as Jordan alluded to earlier, yeah. you know, defense D FARS, we try to keep it simple with a hundred different acronyms in our database. <laughs> they they never end. Um, but yeah, but, you know, focusing around that CUI, which is really, you know, the information that, you know, the government creates or or an entity creates, you know, on the behalf of a government or on behalf of the government, excuse me, um, that kind of yields those safeguarding requirements that you briefly alluded to that we'll talk about here shortly. Um, but, you know, comparing CUI to FCI, I mentioned earlier, a big thing with FCI, is it's not technical in nature. Um, but, you know, ding, ding, cat, cats out the hat here, the technical in nature kind of falls on the CUI side of the house at this point. So, you know, some some examples of that could be, you know, Chris mentioned uh, information systems that are provided to the government or, or created for the government of the DoD. Um, you know, the vulnerabilities of those systems or uh, PII, personal identifiable information of, of, you know, your employees or government employees, anyone inside your organization or uh, various research and engineering data around your storm somewhere or whatever that product is, um, that you're providing to the DOD. Um, and, and it's really, it's really interesting because <laughs> I actually think Jordan said the word broad earlier, um, broad encompasses this nicely. Uh, however, there is this really cool, it's, it's out there, um, it's called the CUI registry, uh, open source. Um, you can go online. So if you're really trying to figure out like, you know, for example, Hey, I'm a, I'm a tax company, D- does, do I think CUI will apply to me or do I have CUI or could I see myself um, processing, storing and transmitting CUI? Um, if you go to the CUI registry, there's examples of industries on there. Um, everything from critical infrastructure to tax, as I mentioned, to you know legal or transportation and you can click on your, um, your specific industry. So how I mentioned the tax industry, you can click on tax. Uh, when you click on the tax industry, it'll give you examples. Uh, so, you know, for example, there's federal taxpayer information um, and then you can click on that and it'll tell you exactly what it is. Um, and and as it reads, federal taxpayer information is related to information in conjunction with taxpayers responsibilities uh, with tax provisions to US code. So um, you might hear it said later on or many times that the answers to the test are there. So if you're, if you're curious of, you know, does this apply to me or will this apply to me? That's a great resource that you can go to and kind of drill down. Uh, to that very granular level to have a full understanding of if you fit the bill or not.
1: Yeah. And what what is that resource again? One more time.
2: It's called the the CUI registry. And I I won't call out the the entire URL, but if you go to your favorite search engine and uh, you type in the CUI registry, it will be there for you once you hit search.
1: Okay. Good to know. I'm thinking about the people listening to this podcast that have heard FAR 5220421, DFARS 7012, DFARS <laughs> 7020, 7021, yeah. CMMC, DOD, CUI, FCI. You're definitely
0: overloading with acronyms today. So it's, a, it's a full yeah. gamut.
1: We're getting a feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, as Chris put it right, good thing to remember, cybersecurity is national security. I like that. All right, let's 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 talk about the compliance requirements then. of NIST 800171 or what other, other acronym or short it's known <laughs> for. Uh, what are organizations facing regarding security controls, assessment requirements?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first one. Uh, so Chris, yeah, sure. we, we mentioned the, the FAR 50, 5220421 uh, broad statement, as Jordan mentioned. Um, so so really, if, if if somebody is looking at compliance requirements for NIST 800-171 and you process, store, transmit, FCI, um, Really, it's those 15 basic safeguarding requirements that Chris mentioned, Um, and there's a big differentiating factor here that I'm going to make sure I draw a solid line of demarcation between is someone being NIST 800-171 compliant or someone being an organization seeking certification or OSC, another acronym for the bank there, Jordan, Um, someone becoming an (laughs) OSC for CMMC. So, if you're trying to become NIST 800-171 compliant as it relates to the 15 basic safeguarding requirements in the FAR clause for FCI information. Um, your assessment requirements, um, really to your to yourself at this point, is you can self-assess, you can do it annually, um, and then the gaps in your environment, you can document this in a plan of action and milestones. And let me be clear, that is not for seeking CMMC certification. So you've got the 15 controls, you can assess yourself. You can do this annually. You can document them in a poem. You can, you know, slow, slow and grow. You know, a, a startup coming into business may not have all 15 of these, and that's something we have to make sure that we're understanding of because not everyone has everything. Um, now, when you cross the line, if you're talking about a little bit further than 800 171, and you're looking at CMMC level one, there's a big differentiating factor here with those 15 control requirements. You can still self-assess. You do this annually, however, the plan of action and milestones that I mentioned, which you know identifies your your tasks and your gaps compared to the framework you're assessing against, you are not allowed to have one of those. All fifteen requirements have to be met one hundred percent or you cannot play ball, black, black and white. So I just wanted to you know throw out the difference between 800-171 security controls and assessment requirements and reporting, um, and then CMMC level one security controls, assessment requirements, and reporting. Um, and I did forget to mention one thing. On the CMMC side of the house, the outcome of that assessment for folks on FCI with the 15 controls, um, you, there's something called a supplier performance risk score, which is how uh, the DOD is judging risk of a, of an organization, basically. Um, you do have to propose that, and that is something that is a new requirement that just recently came out uh, back in the December 2023 proposed rule um, surrounding the whole 80171 CMMC ecosystem.
0: Right. That, that's Woo. that's really awesome. That's, that's yeah, awesome. mouthful. Yeah. 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 Huge mouthful. Yeah. Right. So <laughs>
1: I'm gonna try to. Hey, Chris, I, I think you're about to comment on the on the uh, on the level two. But uh, you know, one thing Drew mentioned was uh, was a poem, and we'll probably reference that again. And for our listeners chris drew you guys correct me if i'm wrong but that's a plan of actions and milestones right Remediation coming out of an assessment yeah okay yeah so yeah it and it's uh
2: there, there's another you know you can also refer to it as corrective action plan really organizationally depend dependent on how you want to reference it but it's the same thing
1: yeah well of course we're going to add more letters here right yeah absolutely <laughs> why 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 just do three and why fours?
0: not <laughs> yeah so just kind of getting back on level two right again with level two being specifically a CMMC term, right? So level two in CMMC is all, incorporating all 110 security requirements from NIST 800 right? But again, it might take it out into account other uh, governmental organizations, let's say DOE, DO, you know, Department of State, whatever, they're gonna be looking at just 800-171 not necessarily going through most likely a self-attestation process or some type of third party some type of interior assessment or internal audit, right? But for CMMC cases, right? So CMCC level two uh, requires that uh, certification process. So these practices, right, 110, they're, they're incorporating more rigorous cybersecurity procedure measures, right? They really focus on documentation of policies, the, and the implementation of practices that establish and maintain the, com- like the companies, or organizations, or agencies' information systems posture. Right. So, uh, the process at this level really requires an organization to establish, document, uh, and really resource their plans, reflecting the, mat- the maturity and in institutionalizing their cybersecurity practices. Right. So, in CMMC, you're going to need a C3PAO. So, it's C3PAO, another acronym. Right. So. Certified third-party assessment organization to do an assessment of your practices every three years, and then within that, another uh, self-assessment annually thereafter. And again, as Drew mentioned, a POAM plan of action milestones for certain authorized controls. Right, and you can't POAM everything. You, there's certain hard stop uh, act items out there that we'll discuss later. Um, but in this case, for CMC, they these should be resolved within 180 days and. After that, right, really after the initial assessment, that specific score, taking into account all 110 security requirements, is entered into the supplier performance readiness, supply performance risk system. We'll just call it SPURS from now. So this is a system managed by the DoD's contracting arm. Uh, so they have a, a repository of SPURS scores for uh, each each organization or uh, each uh, contractor seeking a, con- or a contract, right? Um, but yeah, that's that's the big thing with uh, CMMC level two and the 110 security requirements.
1: We're gonna have to attach an acronym list, I think, to this <laughs> podcast right, for 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 our listeners to to look at as they listen. Okay, everyone, we're going to actually wrap the conversation right there for this week. There is still a lot more to talk about with Chris and Drew, and we're going to do that in next week's episode. We'll get into assessing your current security program against NIST 800-171 standards, laying out a roadmap for compliance. And Chris and Drew will talk about the strategies they use when helping our customers achieve their NIST goals. So be sure to check out part two of our NIST 800-171 conversation next. Until then, if you have any questions about our NIST services and capabilities, reach out to us at connectatcompliancepoint.com or visit compliancepoint.com. You can also connect with me, Chris, and or Drew on LinkedIn.